afternoon. Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway with podcast number 61. And for that, we bring in uh, Pat Caputo. He's a longtime radio partner of mine in Detroit. He's on the other end of the line. And, Pat, it's good to talk with you, man. It's good to talk with you. Always good to talk to you, Dennis. You're a good friend and uh, great broadcast partner. Uh, a lot of good times. A lot of good memories. Well, we talked an awful lot about the Lions over the years, and here we are into the 2020 season, and uh, it's a mess two games in, Pat. Could it be any worse? No, it couldn't. I mean, it's uh, been the absolute uh, total nightmare scenario uh, just about in every way. Uh, Sometimes you look at these situations and uh, look for a silver uh, lining in the cloud. Uh, There's virtually none there. Uh, virtually none. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like an impending disaster, and uh, it, it doesn't seem like it, there's a way out of it right now. You know, you've seen embattled coaches before. They they take on a look, and then they just can't get out of their own way. Have you seen that? Would you put uh, Matt Patricia in that category now? Well, yeah, absolutely. He's been that way from day one. You know, uh, sometimes you have uh, coaches, you know, they always say, George Phillips used to always say this. You know, he used to muddle a thousand cliches. He used to say you uh, lose a game, but you don't lose your team. I don't think Matt Patricia ever had his team. And it's gotten off to the wrong foot uh, from day one, you know, starting with, and fair or unfair, you know, I'm not standing in judgment of that, uh, but the incident that came up from the past, and then last year he had the foot, and uh, this, you know Matthew Stafford got hurt, and and then you know now this year it started out uh, poorly. Yeah, after you know they had the whole pandemic in a very different off season. So and it's just and, but the one thing about this, this isn't just about Patricia. You know, I mean it, it speaks volumes that he hasn't done well and all that. But you know the old saying about uh shopping for the uh, meal with the, you know, with the ingredients. Uh, there have been real good ingredients put there. And Bob Quinn has not drafted uh, well on defense, and he fell into the same trap uh, that previous Lions general managers fell into, especially with Stafford. You know, it's uh, surrounding him with all kinds of stuff. Offensive linemen in the first round twice, a tight end at eight overall. Uh, and then not addressing defense. Even last year's draft, they took Okuda third overall in Okora, but they did not uh, otherwise take a lot of defensive players. They took a couple guards. Uh, they took a running back in the fifth round they've already lost. They took a receiver who they were very high on, and then they tried to throw him the ball, and it just didn't work. Uh, they did a lot of things uh, that have been on the offensive side of the ball, and the one time they addressed the defense, was the Jared Davis T. Tabor situation. And it just really hasn't worked out. It, you know, you can point to Kenny Galladay and you can point to Frank Ragnow. And to some degree, obviously, Taylor Decker, they re signed him. And, you know, he's a middle of the pack, left tackle. And that's hard to find sometimes in that league. But that's all on the offensive side of the ball. Um, he hasn't drafted well on the defensive side of the ball, period. And they've tried to fill in with free agents from the Patriots. You know, a third of their starting defense is from the Patriots. More, if you count Coleman in there who played there earlier, uh, to start the season anyway, before they had their injuries. And it just 
it's not working. It just simply is not working. And that defense, you know, schematically just looks like a mess. I, I don't know exactly what they're doing with it. It's, you know, it's just a really bad situation. So even if the offense gets into gear, it's hard to see where the defense, either in terms of the scheme or the player personnel, is going to suddenly be good enough to win uh, any uh, substantial amount of football games. Yeah, that thing that seems to be the discouraging part. Because of course, I could make a case that they could be one and one if DeAndre Swift catches that ball. But when you watch Aaron Jones break through the defense and they don't have the alignment right, and then he just continues to just uh, tear through them, and they really don't have a pass rush, and they're both of their corners are hurt. And I'll tell you what, man, Jeff Okuda. I know that uh, he missed most of camp. And I know that they didn't do him any favors by putting him out there on an island. But if I didn't know where he was picked and I just said, who's this number 30? I said, well, they're cut this guy. He's weighing over his head. Probably not fair that they didn't give him help over the top. But, man, that was really discouraging watching his debut. And it's not going to get any easier for him here in the next two, three weeks. Well, when you look at what the corner that was taken after him, uh, A.J. Henderson is done for the Jaguars. Uh, the ninth overall pick. And then when you look at uh, what Jalen Johnson did, who was taken by the Bears uh, in the in the draft, and he made the big play after Swift dropped the ball, you know, these are rookie corners that have stepped into the league and done well. And so it doesn't look good at all. And I thought Okuda would you know step into the league and do well. But it, it gets back to lions and excuses. You know, is, is it a reason or is it an excuse? And I think after you see the same thing over and over again, you start to come to the uh, realization that they come up with a lot of excuses. You know, they had just simply have not addressed the defensive side of the ball in the draft. They simply haven't. And uh, when they have, they've essentially missed. You know, Sean Robinson is already gone. You know, uh, some of the other players that there was some promise for. I don't think everybody's genuflecting about the Sean hand anymore. You know, so and there's been a lot of mixed messages. Are they rebuilding? Are they going for it? And uh, you got to look at number nine, too. You know, number nine has this way of leading you on and then letting you down. Uh, you know, you mentioned that pass that was dropped by Swift. But a elite quarterback, it never gets to that point. He finds a way to get that first down and move the chains. He certainly doesn't throw an interception within the last three minutes of the game in regulation time when they're up by a score and give them a short field like that to come back and score. So it, it, it kind of, you know, some of the sacks that he's taken where he could have easily just thrown the ball away that have been hurtful. So there's, you know, it's a three person issue. You know, obviously, Patricia's getting the most heat because he's the coach and the games have been played and his team looks ill-prepared. If you examine it just a little bit, you can see where Bob Quinn's picks haven't worked. And then if you go a little bit further, you see where Matthew Stafford, after everybody, you know, absence made the heart grow fonder after those final eight games last year. And people looked at his stats and got all thrilled with it despite the 3-4-1 and one record and not really examining it has shown what he is, which he's obviously a good quarterback, but not somebody that can lift a team when it's really in trouble uh, out of the out of the hole. It's not a coincidence, Dennis. The one time they won eleven games is when their defense was really good. Mm. 
Yeah, that pick, that pick six against the Packers wasn't one of his finest moments either. So you put no. you put Sheila Hamp into the equation here. She was part of that playoff contention letter that was sent out last year. Her name was on it, anyways. And you know she's the the newly minted owner over the last couple months. And I don't know if we say if she's more like her dad or her mom, trying to get a read or anything else. But I know a lot of people, and and, and I don't. You know, the, the way Kyler Murray's looked these first two games and DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know how they're going to stop those two. Uh, you know, maybe they can beat the Saints. You know, Drew Brees looks 41 years old or something, but I wouldn't count on that. But would do you think that she – you think she would be the kind of owner here to, 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 to make a stand on October 5th and, you know, issue some walking papers or some bus tickets or, you know, how, what do you think about an, an early well, – her mother, her, mother, her her mother did. You know, that was the one time Martha Ford was never more popular than when she uh, fired uh, Martin Mayhew and, and Tom Lawand and came out with a, a prepared statement and read from it. And she was never more popular than that. I remember doing a, a pregame show uh, from right in front of Ford Field on Brush Street and uh uh, a fan came up and uh, they were upset and I said something about Calvin Johnson or that they didn't like or something. And uh, after, later that year and she had a, a jersey on, there was a husband and a wife and, and the wife had a jersey on that said Ford, number one, uh, Lions jersey. And uh, her husband, who was giving me uh, his uh, peace of mind about what he what I said on the show, uh, they came up and talked. They loved Martha Ford after that but martha ford when that happened fell into the same pattern as her husband and the same pattern was uh not commenting about anything but commenting about jim caldwell i love jim caldwell uh it's kind of like when he had to keep him as the coach and that's coming back to haunt quinn you know after he made a decision that maybe if he in retrospect uh, would have brought in his own guy to begin with then they would have been able to get into their uh, restart sooner. But the way this has worked, it's uh, come off that uh, Caldwell got fired unfairly because uh, the coach that they hired hasn't done well. And the best players uh, that the Lions had at the time are all gone, basically run off by Patricia and uh, Quinn. And uh, the new cast that they have is just not nearly as good. The, the, the personnel isn't as good. So, and, you've, and in the meantime, you've had nothing but former Lions players taking shots at him on social media. It's just unbelievable. So, uh, I've never seen anything like it. And then when you start out 0-2, blowing a lead uh, in the process, and then the other time just totally not being competitive after holding a 14-3 lead. And it's just, it's a it's a perfect storm of whatever. And I, how she looks. Uh, Ford Hemp is going to uh, respond to this as a great unknown because she has no track record, whether it's in business or whatever. Uh, she has not been in a spot like this before. And how much influence her mother still has or, you know, her other siblings, uh, that's a great unknown as well. So, and I know uh, from an organizational standpoint, the Lions are in a spot where they're just trying to get through the season like everybody else because of the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of different issues that are there that provide complications. And who would be the coach? You know, do you give it to Bevel? If you were to fire Quinn, all of Quinn's 
lieutenants, with the exception of one, uh, were basically brought in by him uh, from his past. So, uh, and the one lieutenant that uh, wouldn't be is Lance Newmark. And I don't know if you, <laughs> most people don't know who Lance Newmark is or whether he's remotely qualified to be the GM or they would do that. But, you know, it's about Kyle O'Brien and guys that he brought in from New England. They revamped uh, basically their football operations to put it in the mold of the Patriots way. So that's where they're at. So it's a decision that would be, I think, very popular right away. And then it would put the Lions uh, completely off the, the map. You know how that works. And, uh, you know, everybody would be just kind of wait for the season to end and then start talking about the draft again, you know. So <laughs> kind of, you know, it's already two games into the season and you're back to square one where, you you know, you, the Lions have been for so long, you know. Yeah, believe me, I, I've already thought about it myself. I was looking at some of these 0-2 teams, and, and I don't know how bad the Lions could be, you know, with, uh, you know, with Stafford. I know the defense – isn't going to be very good, but, you know, I think they could post still, you know, five, six, seven, maybe eight wins even. That seems like a high side eight. But I was just looking at the the bad teams, and it doesn't look like a lot of those teams need quarterbacks. When you go to the, the Giants, they just had, you know, Daniel Jones, the Dolphins with, with Tua, the Jets got Darnold, the Bengals, you know, with Joe Burrow. And we're only two games in, but, you know, the Panthers, they don't look any good, and Teddy Bridgewater, but, you know, you you just start looking at the three-quarterback draft of Fields and Trey Lance, and then, of course, Trevor Lawrence, and I don't know, do you think the Lions could be that bad where they could have another top-five pick? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I'm anticipating that based on, you know, just looking at them the first two games. You know, they've lost 11 straight games. Uh, it's in a very precarious spot. You know, there's some winnable games coming up, but no game. Everybody's looking at the Lions right now as a game they're going to win, you know. So, uh, to me, you know, like the Vikings aren't very good. You know, that's been kind of an outlier in that. So, I would expect three or four wins, something like that, which would put them right in that top five type of category. I'm not expecting some kind of comeback here. I just don't see, I, I anticipate they'll lose this week. So, uh, you know, it's to me, it's the handwriting's on the wall. You know, I, I'm not rooting for that, but it just seems like we've seen enough. I've seen enough of this, you know, myself. To, um, I think I've got a conclusion on it. I, I hope to be pleasantly surprised, but, you know, for everybody out there's sake. But, uh, you know, the other thing, too, Dennis, worst thing they can do is, finish six and two and start thinking that they turned it around. You know, we've seen that one before and uh, all of a sudden they think they're great and everything's back. That would be classic lions. Uh, they wouldn't get the pick. They would stay with Stafford, you know, maybe uh, continue him, just keep with the same page. And then we go to the following season and we end up in the same spot. We've been in, in Detroit for a long time. You know, the lions floundering after they kind of let everybody on again, you know, it's uh, their yeah. MO. That would be classic 2015. Jim Bob Cooter, they go one and seven. He comes in, and people are like, uh, look at the influence that he had on them, and everybody stays. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I could. I don't want to see that either. I, I don't want any part of, yeah. of a second half. Uh, we've put something together when we're already out of it. I, I don't like those. Yeah, it's uh, it's just the, the dynamic right now is, is, is not good, you know, in a lot of ways, just a lot of ways. So it's 
been profoundly disappointing the first two games on just about every level. You have two losses, one where you blow a lead, you know, that was in the fourth quarter against the team that you basically had to beat to stay in your division race, home against the Bears. And then you have the classic blowout at Lambeau, which we've seen a million times. So it's uh, presented uh, both sides of the story, and neither side's good. Well, Pat, what we haven't seen a million times is the Big Ten starting up uh, football on October 24th. We're taping this on the, uh, what is it, the 22nd here of September. So a week from tomorrow, they'll be in full pads. And then the the 24th, we're going to have this nine-game season. Uh, what do you make of all of that? Of course, you got uh, Michigan. They get the crossover games of, of Minnesota and Wisconsin and yeah, Mel Tucker's first year. What do you think of uh, the the Big Ten getting back underway and starting on October 24th? Well, I think with Michigan, I think it's on the line for Jim Harbaugh. Whether that's fair or unfair, I think it's on the line. Uh, Michigan has like a 4-4 four and four record going into that ninth game, you know. Uh, I think that Jim Harbaugh is going to be feeling intense heat and the football program will be feeling intense heat. So they've got uh, four games that are losable there, you know, very losable. Penn State, Ohio State, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And that's a tough opener. That's uh, a tough schedule. And that's the reality of it. And, you know, I feel I think Harbaugh is a terrific coach. And I don't think Michigan can do better than Harbaugh. So I think it puts him in a tough spot uh, if he does not have success this year or they're blown out by Ohio State. And, you know, something kind of goes awry at the end, which is, you know, probably the more realistic view, breaking in a new quarterback and losing as many players to the NFL draft as they've lost when he's in the sixth year of a seven-year contract in which the uh, negotiations, and Jim Harbaugh did say this uh, over the summer, uh, were, uh, you know, stopped because of the pandemic. So where do you move forward for Michigan football? And uh, do you really get a fair gauge of Jim Harbaugh and his program based on this year? Because Dennis, as you understand it so well, there's a lot of frustration. I mean, they haven't won the Big Ten title since 2004. They haven't beaten Ohio State. Yet at the same time, I think Jim Harbaugh has presented a more solid foundation for the program. They still recruit reasonably well. Uh, Their record overall isn't that bad. They don't get upset by bad teams as a tendency. You know, the 47 and 18 or whatever his record is, 32 and 12 at the Big Ten, isn't that bad. Yet, it's not acceptable for where Michigan wants to, to go and be an elite program, especially when you don't have much in your trophy case lately. So, it's an unusual situation for uh, Michigan and Harbaugh. So, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The, the- Tough schedule, you know, four games. I haven't really entertained the thought of them losing all four of those, you know, games there. I, I picked them with, with three losses in Minnesota and Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a, enough to survive or not. Probably depends on how they look in those games and, uh, you know, how they finish things up. And, you know, if, if Harbaugh wants to leave, maybe, you know, he would be the one that would decide that, all right, uh, instead of them having to make a move, he could just uh, walk away if they didn't have that uh, 
extra year or anything or extra years figured out by the end. So I know this, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be way different. We don't know with the unknown, the team, I have a hard time even just examining the depth chart. A lot of unknown there, right. unknowns and a lot of unknowns with the other teams too. A lot of new coordinators are, they do have some stability with the staff. So, you know, maybe that's something right. that'll help them out. Minnesota's got two new offensive, uh, uh, co-coordinators. Uh, Penn State's got a new offensive coordinator. Wisconsin lost their passing game coordinator. Indiana's got a new OC. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe that'll help them. Maybe. Yeah, we'll have to see, you know, how it's going to play out. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, Michigan Stadium without fans, you know, that's uh, one of the great places. There's nothing like Michigan Stadium on a fall day, you know. Uh, it's just been kind of weird not uh, having those games there. Uh, with that, but uh, there's definitely that. And conversely, I, you know, fair or unfair on this, I think Mel Tucker's basically playing with house money at Michigan State. I don't think anybody's anticipating anything from the Spartans and the fact that they didn't have spring practice and all that. So if the Spartans are really bad this year, I don't think uh, there's going to be like uh, repercussions for, for Mel Tucker, you know, except maybe in recruiting. You know, uh, which obviously they're really, really down. And they did get a break in the schedule because they can beat Rutgers, you know. So that'll it'll be interesting to see. But Michigan State football, basically their talent level and everything isn't that good. And uh, they should struggle this year. You know, Michigan will beat them and beat them soundly. So then that's just kind of where they're at. Yeah, I'm ready to agree with all of that, except they got to win that first one against Rutgers. They don't want to go out and – you know, and uh, yeah. Tucker's debut and, and lose that one. Uh, everything else, I'm, I'm well, in agreement with you. No, well, I mean, they, you know, they've, they've got to be Rutgers. If they're, that might be their winnable game. I, I, it, it, you're right. It's like flying blind here. You really don't know what's going on, you know, with how it's going to play out. Now, that could be for a coach, though. You know, there's two ways to look at it. One, it's unfair to gauge them that way. The other way is, well, if they're a really good coach, they can make a big difference. So, you know, leave it up to those to uh, be the judge on that. Yeah, I feel like continuity and the coach are going to be more important than ever. So put me in that latter category here. Uh, they have been – it's been some limited practice time, but they've been really going out there and been able to work with the team for an extended period. So uh, coaches could have an influence. Speaking of a coach – uh, he's not a coach. He's a manager. The Tigers, uh, Ron Gardenhire steps down and, you know, Gardenhire's a real good guy. He's a, uh, he's a fun guy to listen to, a jovial guy, uh, good quips uh, and all of that. Um, but Pat, you know, he, he wasn't going to be here likely next year. As you take a look at it, I have, uh, is there a particular, a particular profile that you're looking at for the next, uh, manager of the Tigers? I would say one that, uh, uh, is different than the, the past couple managers, and that is a, a real new-age analytical manager, also one that can work with young pitchers. You know, you'd say, who, who's the best pitching coach, whether they're in college or whether in the uh, major leagues right now, and if they could identify that guy might be more important than the manager. That's just my profile as I take a look at it. Um, how are you looking at that? Well, I put up on Twitter, and uh, it's probably, Dennis, of all the years that I've been on Twitter, uh, and this is saying something, uh, one of the more uh, 
unpopular uh, views on it. Uh, was uh, I said I think Graham would be a good fit for the Tigers manager because he's uh, looked at all these guys as scouting wise and he's worked with them and seen them in the minor leagues. And I think Tram would do a really good job as a manager, kind of a bridge to what you're talking about. So uh, that wasn't a, a big hit. You know, I didn't anticipate it to be a big hit, but it's kind of how I view it. Um, but uh, looking at that, uh, yeah, first of all, pitching coach, uh, it, I would suggest that they look at somebody that understands the things that are done at driveline that understand the things that these pitchers do nowadays uh, with the Rastetto cameras and the Edgertronic, uh, you know, uh, cameras uh, to view what they're doing. And uh, those, it's very important uh, that they, they get a pitching coach like that. And they very well come from the college ranks. Uh, you know, the guy in Michigan is going to get a pro job, I think, here pretty soon. Um, maybe it will be with the Tigers. Who knows? And when you sit back and you look uh, at it, uh, you know, analytically, you know, it's important to do that. But I think with the uncertainty that baseball has right now, uh, you have to have somebody that uh, can deal with things because the pandemic is not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, in spring training, I think there's an assumption that, well, spring training will be just like normal. They report uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, the pitchers and catchers. And then just start up like normal, and then you've got the minor leagues. Uh, that's not such a certainty. So you need to have somebody that can maintain that circumstance uh, through a difficult time. I thought Gardenhire did a terrific job with it to the point, you know, where literally he couldn't go on these last week. But he really fought through that through difficult times, given his health history and all that. Uh, I think it's important that you have somebody that maintains a uh, order in the clubhouse as much as uh, an analytical base. But you definitely need that. Their analytics department has come a long way, genuinely. So we'll have to see how it goes. But A.J. Hinch, you know, would be a good choice for the Tigers. A.J. Hinch cheated and all those things, but he's a pretty good guy despite that. And uh, I think that he would be a good uh, fit for them. Uh, He's been very contrite about what happened. And uh, he's somebody that would fit. Cora. You know, the, there's some familiarity with both those guys by Alavila. Uh, and they may have their choice about where they can come back and do. I think they would fit. You know, uh, Marcus Timms is somebody that uh, could be on the radar. He's very highly thought of in the Yankees organization. So uh, there's uh, a number of uh, different directions that the Tigers could go with this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't. I forgot about Marcus Timms. I saw Don Kelly's name on there. You know, Pirates former Tiger. Yeah, I don't, you know, you know, you know. It's so interesting how much influence Jim Leland's going to have on this. You know, there's if there's one thing that's kind of an underlying factor is Jim Leland all the time, and that sometimes rubs the analytics people the wrong way. You know, and uh, because Jim was such a great manager and such a great baseball figure and popular figure and trusted by everybody that he talks to, yet at the same time, some you know, there's a lot of former pirates that have found their way into that organization. You know, and is it like too much? You know, so that's one of the uh, underrated factors in it. So, you know, it would you know, it's like Rigardi recommending Lloyd McClendon. You know, or Leland, is he going to recommend? I'm not saying, I don't know what Jim's thinking about it, honestly. And Jim isn't going to go and tell you, 
you know, he'll talk and, you know, stuff, but, um, you know, would he recommend Don Kelly? And then all of a sudden the Tigers bring in Don Kelly. But a lot of times it's Ernest Don Kelly. Great managers come from players who are like that. They'd have to study the game, play multiple positions, and uh, end up being really good at uh, being managers. So there's a long history of baseball doing that. But I don't know how, you know, up on analytics Don Kelly is, all those different things. And uh, so that wouldn't be uh, somebody I, I would look at. But, you know, if the Tigers did and they had a reason for it, you've got to give them a chance. Yeah, you know, Leland uh, or Kelly had probably put Austin Romine number two, you know, just to get everybody uh, a little worked up there, like like some pop in the two-hole, like Leland said a couple times. Well, you know, when, when Jim did that, it was because Tony LaRusso did it, you know. And uh, But uh, what Jim didn't do, you know, was actually explain it why number two was used there, which I found to be somewhat puzzling. And uh, that book came out, uh, the book on baseball by uh, – Tom Tango, you know, uh, about that time, and it definitively studied which uh, parts in the batting order are the most important, you know, in terms of when they come up at the key times of the game. And number two, you know, all, all these definitive studies, uh, second spot in the order turned out to really be the money spot, uh, surprisingly to people. So while LaRusso was doing that, he was doing that for that reason. Uh, but Leland put Marcus Timms at second, and he was just, you know, he either hit a home run or strike out guy. So <laughs> the reasoning behind it uh, wasn't quite there at the time. But, you know, I was just starting to, uh, you know, uh, come, become aware of, of those type of things at that time. So you know, I wasn't able to question it the way I would now uh, looking at, at it in retrospect. It's like, well, why are you exactly putting Marcus Timms second? You know, because Tony LaRusso was doing that, but with a different type of hitter. Not a power guy as much as maybe his best hitter type. Well, Pat, you know, that uh, might scratch off an idea of mine because I always thought, I don't know if you have any interest in, uh, you know, in, in writing a book, but, you know, it couldn't be called then the, the book on baseball. That's what I always thought. Maybe, you know, the, that would have been the title. Uh, <laughs> the book on Detroit sports. That's well, good- when that book came out, you know, I had that nickname uh, before uh, at the time, and uh, so uh, before Tom Bigby uh, gave me the throat flash sign and said no more on that nickname. Uh, our program director was a great program director, um, but I uh, you got like four or five copies of that book sent to me. I didn't know that. So I read it. It's, it's kind of dry reading, Dennis. If you ever ever get a chance to read it, it's a little dry, but uh, you do pick up quite a bit in that in that book well i've been reading dry books myself over the pandemic here 1776 uh, a d-day i mean those aren't exactly like real page turners but yeah but nothing, nothing. reading a canadian mathematician that goes by the pseudonym of tom tango you know uh is a little drier than even some of our history books <laughs> all right well, uh, Pat, you know, uh, we just we have the unknown, just like the football season, college football season. We don't know. We don't know when whatever we'll be out back at games. Uh, we'll see each other, any of that. So yeah. it's, it's just very good to hear your voice. And thanks so much for uh, lending your time here to come on the podcast for the third time. It's, it's great to have you on, man. All the best to you and uh, continued success. Same to you and Mary Ann and uh... Uh, Jason, Kyle, and Louie, and uh, the joke. 
<laughs> You're awesome, Pat. You go. All right. Uh, we'll, we will talk with you uh, down the line. Uh, say hi to Lori for me, too. Okay, thanks. See you, Dennis, Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye.